family. We are in the middle of a series called Simply Jesus. I love this uh, worship that we sang about today because you're talking about Jesus and um, how important he is to our faith. Without Jesus, it's everything hinges. This is a theological concept. Everything hinges on the person of Jesus and how important he was in this earth and why we now have just not just freedom one day in heaven, but we got freedom right now. And I think that sometimes we miss that inside of our churches. Sometimes we miss that. Uh, we, we all talk about heaven, you know, getting to heaven. But Jesus was about more than that. He was like, you can have some heaven now if you want it. If, if you just do it my way, if you walk with me. And so last week we, we talked about what I would call Jesus's greatest parable. And it was the parable of the prodigal son. I call it the prodigal sons. And that was kind of my, my first take for you guys. I was kind of the twist at the end. And, and it was an odd service because I think everybody was like, wait, that's about me. And uh, so I kind of Jesus juked you a little bit. If you didn't hear it, you please go back and listen to it. Uh, we're on everything, YouTube and Google and everything like that. But today, uh, today we're going to talk about Jesus's greatest, I call it Jesus's greatest offense. <laughs> because most of us, we think about Jesus or we hear about it, we're like, we always think like the, the Jesus carrying the lamb, you know? Y'all remember those pictures, those old school like oil paintings, you know, it's Jesus walking and he's, whole, he's carrying, why is he always carrying a lamb, you know? <laughs> And he's wearing a big robe and he's got like Brad Pitt eyes, you know, and you're like, what's going on? But Jesus was crazy offensive in his time. He was kind of, I would call a troublemaker. Most people would call him a troublemaker. In fact, if he was alive now, he'd probably be the guy that everybody would be calling a troublemaker. He was great at offending not just people who didn't um, believe in God. He was great at offending people who did. And this is his maybe biggest chance, I, I think his greatest moment of offense to people. And it's found in John chapter six, if that's where you're, we're going to be. And so some context before we read it, context before we read it. So Jesus at this point, by the way, John is a gospel in the Bible. So the Bible broken up into two main parts, Old Testament, New Testament. So if you're new to the Bible, which by the way, we have people who come to our church who have never read the Bible, who are new to the Bible. That's why I give context. Okay. So if you're a Bible believer, you're like, I know that pastor get to the point. Um, this is the point. So help, let's help people be be better Bible people, okay? That's important, right? So, so Old Testament, New Testament. Starts of the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and you guessed it, John. That's where we're going to be. And John is what we call a gospel. Or it's a life of Jesus. So it tells the birth, the life, kind of him growing up, and then the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's kind of what we call the gospel or the good news. And the reason we call it a good news is because without Jesus, it's all bad news. It's pretty simple. And so Jesus, in John chapter 6, at this point in his life, he's been born, he was already a teenager. He's already become, he's gone through rabbinical school. He's already gone, become a rabbi. He's now walking around giving his yoke out to everybody. And he's already cured blind eyes. He's already done amazing things. He's done miracles. He's the Jesus now, okay? This is important to the context of the story. So he's not unknown. He's very known. And in John chapter 6, it starts off in the chapter with him feeding the 5,000. So um, that, that miracle is amazing because it's in all four Gospels. But he starts off with feeding the 5,000 or 5,000 men, but it was more because there was women and children apart. So he takes a little kid's lunchbox and feeds everybody. 
And then it goes on to say that he walks on water, which is one of the most amazing miracles you could ever do inside of your life. And, and he not only does that with himself, he actually has Peter who does that as well. So Peter asks, can I come out? And Jesus says, for sure, he comes out on the water with him. And then he starts teaching in a synagogue across the water uh, in a place called Capernaum. And he starts teaching on communion. He starts teaching about him being what they call the bread of life. And you and I would be amening him. And we'd be like, this is so good. And yeah, preach pastor. And we would be high-fiving. And we'd be talking about the bread of life. And I like bread. Carbs are good. That All I hear is that Jesus likes carbohydrates. So I'm like, I think there's going to be chips and nachos in heaven. No calories. I'm like, this is so good. Talk about bread some more. Ciabatta for life, right? So Jesus is in the middle of his sermon and he's getting the amens. The crowd is crazy big. And then the wheels come off. Y'all ready? John chapter six, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. We're like, yeah, amen. Preach it. Verse 48, yes, I am the bread of life. We're like, we know Jesus is so good. This is amazing. And your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread of heaven will never die. We're like, come on, how many of y'all would just get, those are good verses. Like, that's life right there. You're like, I can get down with this Christianity. This is great. And then he goes on and starts to make a turn. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. And people start to go, huh? And anyone who eats of this bread will live forever and this bread, which I will offer the world so the world may live, this is what this bread is. It's my flesh. This is where you grab your spouse's hand, right? You're like, what did he say? That he didn't say what I think. Yeah, I've probably done this a few times in our church, more than a few times, where I've said something up here and you, you nudge them, you're like, did he just, did he talk about my cowboys like that? Like, did he just say? Did he just, I don't think he did. Let's go back. And so we think Jesus makes a mistake. We give Jesus credit, right? Because he just did some miracles. You get a pass. And then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give him flesh to eat, they ask. This is, this. so Jesus said it again. <laughs> Jesus, come on. He said it again. I tell you the truth. Keeping it real. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can't have eternal life within you. And now people are starting to, they're pulling out their phones. They're like, this, this is not good. We got to get this on video. This is going to go viral. Verse 54, but anyone who eats my flesh, he says it a third time. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? It wasn't a mistake. Once is a mistake. Two is kind of like a slip up. Three is like, this is intentional. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person on the last day. Verse 55, for my flesh, this is for, my flesh is true blood, true food, and my blood is true drink. Okay? And then anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, five, it remains in me and in him. So you're like, this, this, Jesus has lost his mind. Jesus is crazy. And he says, I live because the Father's living the sent in me. And in the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. Six. I am the true bread came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die, as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna, but will live forever. Seven. You're like, okay. Thank you for that, Jesus. This is odd. And he offended 
every church member that came that day. Title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is called The Greatest Offense. The Greatest Offense. Simply Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I thank you that today, God, you are good. You are good. You are good. You are good. Everything you say has meaning. Everything that has meaning comes from you. I pray today we would not miss the message. You gave them a message, but you have a message for us. You have a message for me. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you speak today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Um, I have a question. By show of hands, okay, this is the participatory fun part, okay? This is where you can be a part of the church service, okay? Has anybody ever crossed a line with you? Anybody ever crossed a line? Come on, somebody. Somebody just crossed the line. On the way to church, come on, leave it up. Leave it up and look around. You crossed the line. You were driving to church today. They crossed your driving line, and you were, you know what I'm saying? You're like, you're lucky I'm going to church. I chase you. And so you just, you've been crossed. The line's been crossed. And so for me, for me, my, my line got crossed several years back. I tried, I event, let me tell you a story. Y'all ready? I, t- I, t- I did my best attempt to make lobster. I made a lobster one time. It was, a, it was fancy, because I'm a fancy guy. I always saw lobster, but I never grew up eating it. But I always thought, you know what? If I could either go to the restaurant for like $100 for a lobster, right? Or I can buy a lobster and make it myself. So I had a chef friend. I asked him how to do it. He said, well, go to the store, buy the lobster, and I'll tell you, we'll walk you through it. I said, okay. So I went to the store, picked up this lobster, picked him, saw him in the, camp, saw him in the, the floating water. I'm like, this is, I want that one right there. Boom. Give me that one. Big one. That one. He says, all right. Grabbed him, put him up, put him in a bag. He handed the bag to me. At that moment, I realized I was a little in over my head, right? Because you, you got a live animal moving around that you're eventually going to eat. This is different than you going to the restaurant and it's already been prepared for you. I just want you to know it's different. So grab the bag, brought it home, put the bag on the counter. The bag was moving on the counter. I'm like, this, this is not good. I should have known this is going to be bad. So I grabbed my friend. I said, Frank, come over, my buddy. So we're going to make this lobster together. He says, I'll bet. Let's do it. So he comes over. He gets the, we get the pot. Chef tells me, get the pot, get water, get it boiling. You're going to put the lobster in the pot. That's how you cook them. I said, Okay, but like he's alive. And he was like, Yeah. He said, When I put him in the water, he's not gonna live anymore. He goes, Yeah. And I said, Well, who's gonna do that? And he goes, Well, you gotta do it because you're gonna cook the lobster. I said, Okay. I said, I got, I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm a, I can do it. He said, Okay. So, I get the lobster out, and um, I brought a lobster. Just I wanted to show you, just because this is demonstration purposes. This is important. Uh, this is this is. It's not a real lobster, but this is important. Should be like, why does Pastor have stuffed animal lobster? Okay, just, I just want you. This is important. Okay, so lobster's out. Okay, he's on the table, he's moving around, and I realized that I'm gonna have to grab him and then put him in, in the thing. It took me about five minutes to get the courage to do it. So I walk over to him, and I did this. This is what I did. I did this. I picked him up, and I looked at him in his eyes. And I remember looking at him in his eyes, and I felt like, I don't know if you guys get like a premonition from animals, or you feel like they're talking to you when they can't talk to you. But when I looked at the lobster, I felt like he said, no. And I stared at the lobster, and I said, Larry, it's going to be... Okay, never name the animals you're about to kill and eat. It makes it really, really hard. So I looked at him. I said, Larry, 
It's going to be okay. You're going to be very tasty. And my wife screams from the back room, hurry up already. I'm hungry. And I said, okay. So I put the lobster back down. I said, we're going to do this. So I had to kind of like get my mind right. So I turned around, right? I turned around and I was, I'm not, I know this sounds silly, but I turned around and I kind of closed my eyes and I was like, um, and I felt like, you know what? I don't need lobster that bad. So I made a decision that I was going to put the lobster back in the bag and take him back to the place. I even considered taking him to the, I lived in California, so going to the beach was not that big of a deal. I considered taking the lobster to the beach and letting him go. That's how bad I was, I really was struggling with this. So I was kind of, I'm not going to do this. So I turn around, I'm in the corner, I'm kind of, my eyes are closed, and I hear, <laughs> you guys can, I hear the sound. Here's the sound. Bloop. And I looked back over, and my friend had grabbed Larry and thrown him in the water. And I was like, and when Larry went into the water, I heard the terrible, the worst sound you could ever hear. Have you, has anybody ever cooked a lobster before? Okay, there's this sound that comes from the water that they say, and I read later on Google, because everything you read on the internet is true. Um, it said, that's called the lobster screaming. And so they say the lobster screaming while he's dying. I heard it with my ears. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? He was going to, I was going to take him back. Larry was going to live. And he goes, no, nah, man, I want some lobster. <laughs> Larry died, to say the least. Let's summarize the story. Larry died. My friend ripped his body apart. And honestly, he was pretty tasty. So at the end of the day, it all worked out, right? It all kind of worked out. Carlos, the lobster. So at, at, at the end of the day, it all worked out. But I remember watching my friend put Larry in the water. And I remember thinking, you crossed the line, dude. Like, you are offending me because I was supposed to take Larry back. And you didn't let me. And I remember thinking how offended I was. And as silly as that story is, some of us have these moments in life where somebody offends you, somebody crosses your line, right? They accuse you of something, and that's your line that you got crossed. Or somebody says something about your family. Come on, somebody have, like, I have a family line. Like, you talk about, I can talk about my family. You don't talk about my family. Like, I remember telling my wife when I first got married, I'm like, your brother's kind of crazy. Your sister's kind of nuts. And she goes, I can talk about my family. You can't talk about my family. And now, now we can both talk about family because we all realize they're all nuts. <laughs> right? But it's like you have a line that can't get crossed. Like, what do you do when somebody crosses your line? What do you do? What do you do when Jesus crosses your line? Because the funny thing about this story, it wasn't somebody. It was Jesus. What do you do when the pastor says something you don't like? You ever think about that? Do you ever process how you respond in the moment? Let's see how they respond. We get to look at it. Verse 60, he says on here, we're going to have a little bit of old-fashioned Bible study. Is that okay? It's going to be fun. This is how I read. You're going to get insight into my mind and how I read the Bible. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Well, duh. Come on, somebody. You would say the same thing. You just told me to eat your flesh and drink your blood. This is hard. Then he said, who can accept it? Now, you and I, look, here's the funny thing. You and I read this symbolically. We know now Jesus was going to eventually die and rise again. We know now what he was teaching about. We know now that it was communion. We know now that he's talking symbolically. We know now that he wasn't really saying, hey, come take a piece of my chunk of my flesh and eat it every time. We know he was talking symbolically. But then they took it literally. It was like me getting up here and saying, y'all want to stay apart of rise? 
I went ahead and went to the doctor. I have vials of blood ready. And we'll just cut off pieces of my skin. We'll all just partake and it'll be all good. You would be just as offended, right? And so Jesus has this moment with his disciples and they use this word accept. Everybody say accept. The word accept there meant a coup. It meant to actually, it was in the Greek word a coup. It actually meant to hear God's prompting and birth faith. So it was like, they, what they were saying was, is what you're teaching right now, how on earth is this ever going to have people come to the faith? How is this going to make them believe in you and believe in me? It's too hard for people. Jesus needs a PR guy. They're like, this is not good. If this goes viral, we're going to lose everybody. Church is closing tomorrow. Stop talking like this. How can this happen with you, Jesus? You're not supposed to say that. And you see now the crowd starting to be ran off. Because remember, he was popular. And the crowd is all around. Remember what had just happened. He had just fed 5,000 folks. And that's what crowds do. Crowds are always around to consume. Why do crowds leave? When there's nothing left for them to consume. So Jesus is identifying the crowd. He's checking their motives. He's seeing, are you here for the right reasons? I, I, go, I went to, uh, I was online, and I love shoes. I'm kind of a shoe person. And um, I was checking out this shoe, and it just dropped. I'm like, this shoe is amazing. So, like, I checked it out, and I found out it was in stock at the store. I called the store, and I said, I'm coming to get that shoe. Can you hold it for me? Sure. No problem. What's your name? Aaron. Okay. I get in the car, and I drive to the store. I get to the store. I ask for my shoe. They say, we no longer have that size in stock. And I said, but I called and I said, you, you said that you had it. And then you said that you were going to hold it for me. Oh, who did you talk to? I said, Steve, I don't know. And they're like, well, it's no longer here. And so I left the store. I didn't hang out in the store to be buddies with the people in the store because there was no longer any reason for me to be there because I'm a consumer of their product. Crowds are always consumers. And what Jesus was trying to figure out in their heart was, are you a consumer? Because I'm not feeding anybody anymore. And now those people are starting to walk away. And it's a big deal because in the crowd back then meant two big things, protection and provision. It meant protection because if there's 50,000 people around me keeping the Roman guards from me, that's a lot of people. If you come try to get me, there's a lot of people going to stand in your way, right? So now that crowd is gone and they're being ran off and the disciples are freaking out and they're saying, you don't know what you're doing. The moment they leave, we in trouble. You're running off our protection. Second, you're running off our provision. Do you know how the disciples and Jesus were primarily taken care of as they walked along the countryside? It was their people. They'd be like walking up and be like, hey, man, can I come stay at your house tonight? Sure, come on over. We'll have some pita bread. It'll be great. So not only did he run off their protection, Jesus ran off their provision. The crowd is officially gone crowd always leaves when you don't get what they want. How do, you, how do you do when God don't give you what you want? You ever had that? I mean, like, I have that regularly. Anybody ask, a, recently, has anybody prayed a prayer this week? 
and God didn't answer it? Okay, good. Okay, okay, okay. So what do you do when he doesn't answer your prayer? Because walking off for us is not like it was walking off for them. Walking off for us is little steps away from God who you believed would always do what you wanted him to do. So now the crowd is gone. The people who were consumers are gone. Because you don't stick around for that. The shoe's no longer in stock. You ain't feeding nobody anymore. Let's go to the next thing where I can consume and get something for me. So now the crowd is gone. And the people are getting nervous. And the grumbling starts. It says it. Verse 61. It says this. Aware of that this, that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, <laughs> this, this is funny to me, because remember, Jesus doesn't ask questions he doesn't know the answer to. And he walks up to them and he goes, hey, are you offended? Did I say something now that hurt your feelings? Is this, what it would, is this it? This is what it was going to take, huh? Anybody have a house growing up um, where you had a room you could not go into? <laughs> anyway, like, yeah, like there's a room. Anyway, like, or you're going to grandpa's house or grandma's house, going to Grammy's, and you're like, you cannot walk into, the, I could go into any, my grandpa had a house, and he was like, um, he was like, you can go anywhere. He was a really good grandpa. He was like, you can go anywhere. And he goes, but this room, it was, it was his room. He goes, you can't go in here. This is a special. Do not go in this room. And we have that, like, the family room. Or there was, like, wasn't there always, like, a hallway, like, room that you had in your house that you couldn't sit in, but it was a display area? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it was covered in plastic, like, couch cover. Did anybody have that? Like, it was, like, the dining room slash family room slash, and it had the big church Bible on the dining. No one opened it. It had, like, a thick layer of dust on it. You could walk through it. Come on, somebody. But you couldn't walk in. You couldn't stay in it. And like, Jesus reveals the room that they wouldn't let him walk into. He's like, uh, he's like, where is it now? Is that the line? Was that the, the room I couldn't go into? Was that the line I crossed? He does this with me a lot, like with my marriage. Because, like, I'm like, God, you're so good at church when we sing in songs and stuff. But, like, in my marriage, I'd rather do it my way. And so you can't go into that room. You can't have that. But you can have, like, blessing. Or, or maybe it's, like, like, some of y'all don't want them in the entertainment world. of This might not be to get any amens. But, like... I find it interesting how we can be Christian and yet still allow our eyes to see things that we've normalized, that the culture has normalized, and nothing bothers us about it. And you're like, well, God, no, I, I, you can go into the room, my Christian room, you can go into my Bible room, and you can go into my physical room, but the things I like on Netflix, that's mine. You, don't, you can't go in that room. You can't go in that room. And, like, we all have these lines, right? And Jesus goes, is this, is this the thing that I was going to offend you? you? I'll go to church, but that whole giving thing? No, 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 no. You can't walk into my money room. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
Should I just go? out? Okay, I'll, I'll just, I'm a, well, because like we, we, you're either with Jesus or you're not. Like, and so he's really good at walking in the rooms you don't want him in. So he walks in and he's like, does this offend you? Jesus knows. He's just revealing it to them. He's showing them, oh, this was your spot. You thought you were with me until, until you weren't. And then the result of the statement comes by Jesus and it becomes more clear. This is what happens. This is, this is what happens after Jesus preaches. He says, the Bible says, Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Let's look at what the word says. It doesn't say many of the crowd turned back. He had already offended them. The crowd was already gone because the crowd leaves when there's no more food, when there's nothing left to consume. Now, now he's crossed the line with the core. Now, Now he's crossed the line with a whole different set of people, and it says, the disciples that were following him, they left. So the people who walked with Jesus, the people who talked with Jesus, the people who saw his miracle power, the people who were considered disciples, those were the people who left. And the core always leave. Listen, this is important. The, core, the crowd leaves because there's nothing left to consume. The core leaves when it becomes too hard to stand with Jesus. It costs too much. Because before they were with a rock star, now they're with a crazy person. Before the church was growing, now the church is stagnant. Before, pastor always talked about the good blessing of God, and now he's talking about your potential holiness keeping you from your best life, and you have to give up something. And now it's too much. Now Jesus is asking something from you, and, and the core always leave when they do that. They're, they're, they're tempted to leave because it costs you. It's not easy anymore. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's not easy. You have your own opinions on life. And Jesus says, I'm grateful for your opinion, but I've already given you the opinion of a Christian. So if your life doesn't line up with this, you leave. Because Jesus has offended you. Like, you got to come to church. That costs you something. You got to serve at church. That costs you something. You got to give financially. Hello. That costs you something. Like, you got to lay down your pride and your ego. Follow Jesus with your wife or your husband or your children or your boss. You got to actually be a Christian instead of say you're a Christian on Facebook. You got to come into a church. We say this all the time. You come to our church on a weekend service. I tell you this in next steps. You got to sacrifice your preference. Ain't nobody come here and we do church perfectly for you. And if we do right now, give it time. It will eventually offend you somehow. 
You turned on so many lights. The music's too loud. The music's too low. There's too much smoke. There's not enough smoke. Why has he got to play the drums with two toms? Can he just have one tom? Is there like, why does pastor have a stand? Like it's a table. Why couldn't it be a pulpit? Like why can't pastor wear three-piece suits all the time? Why doesn't he wear anything cool? Like I don't understand why his hair's like that. Why does his wife sit over there? Why can't his wife sit over there? How come pastor has five kids? Doesn't he know how that happens? Like I don't understand. It doesn't matter. Like, my line's not your line. I'm just trying to highlight. You have a line. You have a line. And so Jesus is going to come to you eventually, and he's going to be like, oh, did I hurt your feelings? Because I asked you to serve at church more than one weekend a year. Does this offend you? I like what David says in 2 Samuel. Summary. God tells David to build an altar. And he goes to this guy's place, his house, and he's like, hey, God told me to build an altar here. And the guy's like, well, you're the king. You can do whatever you want. Here's my house. Build it. David says, nope. Not in the kingdom. Chapter 24, verse 24. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that which cost me nothing. So the question is, is are you the, you might not be the crowd, but you could be the core. And you up in here, and it costs you nothing. Because Jesus knows his heart. He knows their heart. He asked the second question that should rock you and walk me too. He said, so are you going to leave too? Yeah. So now that I don't give you what you want, and now that it costs you something to stand with me, are you going to leave too? When is it? Where's the line for you when you said, I'm done? He's in a systematic process right now. Y'all see it? In defining the people who are following him. Because everybody who was following him weren't followers. You have the crowd who follow Jesus because of what he did. He fed people. You have the core who follow Jesus because of what he's doing. He's popular. But when all those two things go, you get to the point of what he's trying to get to with the committed. They follow Jesus because of who he is. And now the crowd is gone. And now the core is gone. And he's left to answer one question. And Peter, who's like my guy, Peter's the big mouth of the disciples. Like, I have been called that a lot in my life. You are a big mouth. I like Peter because he's just got something to say. And Peter says, I'll answer your question, Jesus. And this is what I love. This is really the whole point of the message. If you're, if you're taking notes, please write this down. Simon Peter, 68, he says, here's what you do when Jesus crosses your line. <laughs> here's what you do. Two things. He says, Lord. Everybody say, Lord. Lord. To whom shall we go? Come on. 
First, you got to recognize Jesus as Lord. Lord, to whom shall we go? He said, like, you're the authority. Not just over my life, but over all life. Lord there in Greek was um, Gurio, so it actually meant one with supreme authority. It was like, dude, you, like, Jesus, hey, by the way, like, you, 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 you reign over it all. And at some point, you're either God or you're not. You're going to have to make up your mind eventually. If you're a new Christian in here, this might be a little heavy. It's not really for you, honestly. you got to take a step. But for those of you who've been a part of church a long time, or you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and you can define long time, you, you really will come to a point in your life where Jesus will eventually offend you, the pastor will eventually offend you, the church will eventually offend you. Give it time. Somebody in here sitting in these chairs will eventually offend you. And you got to just come to the like you got to get to the point where he's either Lord or he's a dude who walked around and was really good to people for a long period of time. He's either God or he's not. And I, I'm concerned as a pastor because I think we're so fickle with our relationship with Jesus. We're so wishy-washy with our faith in Jesus. You have to wait for your circumstance to line up just so for you to continue following him. And Peter is so good at saying, I've already decided who you were to me. I've already answered this question in my heart, Jesus, but let me make it clear. You're Lord. You're Lord. My faith is not circumstantial. It's theological. It's based on someone who is God, whether my paycheck shows up or I get a good report from the doctor or my kids come back home or my wife's not acting crazy or my husband don't act a fool. Like I, I, I've already made up my mind. You're God. And no circumstance going to run me off of it. And then he says something crazy, which is like the weirdest thing. He says, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. He remembers and he reminds himself of what you really know about God. By the way, anytime God offends you, your feelings get all stirred up. And when you follow your feelings, you in trouble. Feelings are not facts. Contrary to what the world would tell you. It's all based on a lie, right? Right now, everything you know about the culture that's like psychotic, it's all based on a lie that you think your feelings make them facts. That's not true. Because I can feel a lot of ways and don't mean it right. You know that. We know that. And so he answers him. He says, you got the words. Well, I can't go anywhere. I've seen too much. I, I flew on a plane recently, and I got upgraded to first class. And then I had to go back to, 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 
I'm not saying I'm fancy, but I'm a little fancy. And when I get put in the first class and then I got to go back with the commoners, it was bad. You would do it too. When I sit on first class, I was right in the aisle, and as people were walking by, I was like, <laughs> good luck back there with your peanuts. I got chips up here. Like, it wasn't that big of an upgrade, but I was saw too much. Come on, y'all. I saw too much. I couldn't go back. He said, you have the words of eternal life. You remember, I remember Jesus I remember eating the fish and the bread that miraculously appeared in front of me. I remember tasting the wine that used to be Dasani water bottles. I remember walking with the man who was crippled. We were running together. I remember high-fiving the dude we declared dead. Like it was so real to me when the woman who could not stop bleeding walks up and just touches your coat. I remember hugging her and I remember celebrating. You can't talk me out of my faith. I've walked with you on water. I can't go back. He reminded himself of all the good things he did. And you got to do that too. You got to do that too. I got to do that too. He's been too good to us to forget. When I was younger, I just had my children. I have twins and uh, they're 15 now. And I remember when they were three, um, I remember having a conversation with my wife and my pastor. And he sat me down and he said, Aaron, I think you need to get your kids checked out because they're not speaking and they should be doing some type of speaking right now. And I just didn't, I was like, so taken back by it. I was like, I, I didn't know. I was my first kids. I didn't know. So we went and got the, um, we got the, professionals to test them and they went to their school and they tested them and I went to the meeting after that and the lady said your kids are so far behind even in their brain testing and scanning like there's nothing they'll never probably talk well they'll never be able to be in school well they're always going to be behind you just need to settle it in your heart and you know I was a Christian I was a pastor at a church and I'm like well thank you for that report but you know, God is alive. And I, you know, you say all those things, right? And you, you just believe. And, and she goes, well, let me prove it to you. Bring them back tomorrow. We'll put them in the class and you can see. And so we brought them back. She puts them in the middle of the class, my two boys, and with the rest of their peers. We went into this room that had single-sided glass. We could see out. They could not see in. So they didn't know we were there. And it was just interaction with children. And they sat in the middle of the class and they didn't talk like everyone else. They didn't look like everyone else. They didn't interact like anyone else. They didn't learn like anyone else. They didn't hear like anyone else. They were clearly behind. She looked at me in my eyes. She said, I told you 
they're not going to do anything in this. I'm just telling you, you just settle in your heart. And I don't think she was trying to be mean. I think she was trying to help me get to realization that I didn't have expectations for my kids beyond what their abilities were. And I remember leaving there. I'll never forget where it was. We were in the school parking lot. I was facing a tree. I remember this because I sat in the car. My wife was in the passenger seat. We didn't, we didn't really say anything. We were just kind of quiet. I sat there. I put my hands on the steering wheel, and I remember just squeezing it. I remember just saying, like, have you ever had this, like, steering wheel moment is what I call them. And you just don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to pray. And I was squeezing it, and it just was so hurtful. And I remember saying to God, it wasn't a prayer sort of speak, but it was just like, I, I don't, I don't get this. Like, we did it the right way. We, 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 we honored you. We, we, we serve at a church. We're pastors. We give. I've been given since my, since I can remember. I, I've been serving since I can remember. I've been a Jesus follower since I remember. I don't, I get, I don't get this. I don't get this. I, and I remember so clearly, the Lord has not spoke to me audibly um, much in my life. And, um, but I remember him telling me this. I need, you to, I need you to trust me with your kids. And I remember, I remember, I remember saying, no, it's too much. It's too much. I'll trust you with my, my finances. Like I, I trust. You, you can't ask for my children. crossing the line. Jesus, you're asking me for two. I can't do that. This is... And, uh... Last week, I was at a piano recital for my twins. And, uh... They played, like, a minute song. And most people... That's not a big deal to you. But I remember when someone said they would never do that. And I remember when God said, you just gotta trust me with your kids. And I remember what it felt like to think that's too much to ask of me, Lord. But I remind myself now of how faithful God has been in the process. And so whatever the Lord is asking of you right now, the truth of the matter, the whole point of the message is, is that God is going to ask you something. And it's your responsibility to respond in a way that I would hope be like Peter. As focused as I, is, as I am on my questions, when I consider my options, to whom shall we go? Will you say that with me? Say it. To whom shall we go? One more time. Just to whom shall we go? That my, my hope is that you would recognize the words of eternal life that is in the Jesus that you follow. And you would have success after success and glory after glory and heaven after heaven like I do with my twins right now. Because God asked me to trust him with them. And I thought that was too much, but when I did it, 
I said, to whom shall I go, Lord? You have, you've been too good to me. You've been too good. And my prayer is that for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I thank you that today, well, it was, a, it was an odd statement that you made for sure, but I think you make those statements to us regularly and you try to find what rooms we can't go into. And I pray we wouldn't be like the crowd looking to consume every time we walk in this place. I pray that we wouldn't be like the core that looks to only follow you when things are easy. But Lord, that we would be like the committed that have decided already and reminded already who you are to us. In Jesus' name.